Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. It's not too hard to find because it's literally one chapter removed from the last chapter of the Bible. So if you uh, have a Bible handy and want to turn almost all the way to the end of it, to Revelation chapter 21, that'd be great. If you don't have a Bible with you handy, there are usually some stationed out in the pews there. You can grab one or ask somebody near you to uh, to pass one along. But we invite you to turn there to uh, Revelation chapter 21. We'll look at verses 1 through 8. And as I read through these verses, uh, let me encourage you uh, to look at a couple of things. In the four, first four verses, look specifically for what it says about the type of kingdom. That's described about God's heavenly kingdom and how it's described there. So look for that in the first four verses. And then in the second uh, four verses, verses five through eight, look for what it says about the plan of the king, the plan of the king. Uh, Read along with me silently as I read aloud uh, these verses. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and He himself will be with them as their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy And true. And he said to me, It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. To the one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Let's pray together again. Father, we ask that you would allow us in this time to be taught by you through your word. And we thank you for the gift and blessing of being able to experience and know you through your word. So be our teacher now, we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Well, I've got a bit of a confession to make this morning. It's, it's not a huge one. It's not a huge one. But maybe you're similar to me in this regard. Sometimes I'll, I'll get going on a book to read. And, and I get about a chapter and a half, maybe two, maybe two and a half chapters into it. And I just have to peek ahead to the last chapter 
to see what's going to happen. And it, it, it turns out this isn't true for me just with fiction, which it would kind of make sense. Uh, as some of you all know, have been praying for me as I've been trying to wrap up this crazy Ph.D. work I've been doing for quite a long time. I appreciate your prayers and coming into the end of it. I've been working on looking at uh, the exciting detail, looking at the footnotes that I've done. And it's been interesting, these resources that I've used, these other books that I've cited in my paper, the citations, so strange, seem to mostly come from the first 15 pages of the books or the last 15 pages of the book. So, you know, you draw whatever conclusions you want to about uh, how much of those resources I have read. In the case of my situation, you know, uh, peeking ahead to the last chapter is probably an indication of some kind of uh, impatience on my part or laziness to actually take the steps to really get there. But in some places in life, zooming ahead is actually essential, even recommended. Uh, think about a person who's run and maybe there's some here that have run a marathon. You know, I've got zero interest in ever attempting to do that, but I admire the folks that do. And, and, and I don't know the full process, but I've, I've known some folks that have run one. And, and, and it seems like they would start out with, you know, six miles here for several weeks. And then you do eight or nine miles for another couple of weeks. And then you're up to 12. And then, you're you know, to go through all of that and then to reach that point where you're ready or feel you're ready to run that 26-mile race. I think you'd have to have a pretty clear picture in your mind of what it looks like to cross that finish line, to get to the end. Maybe you'd even go and some person you know has run one and you go and stand there and watch them come across the finish line. I'd want to have a pretty clear picture. Or shifting gears, maybe you've been to uh, one of those restaurants where they have the, the big, huge steak and there's the competition to see who can eat the Huge steak, or maybe it's the Monster Ice Cream Sunday, one of those places you've been in. And uh, when I was growing up in the suburbs of Chicago, we had a little place in our town. It was called the Colonial. And the Colonial had the kitchen sink. When I say they had the kitchen sink, what I mean is that they had an actual replica that was uh, sufficient to hold about a half gallon of ice cream in it. And it had little handles and knobs on it, a little drain pipe coming out of a stainless steel mounted to a board. It was the kitchen sink. And they could put the ice cream and the whipped cream and bananas and nuts and load that thing up. Well, whether you've been to the place with the big steak or the place with the big sundae, what's always located somewhere in those restaurants along a wall. Maybe it's back towards the restrooms. Maybe it's right up front. There's a wall of Polaroid pictures of what? People with an empty plate in front of them. People that have eaten the steak or managed to swallow down the Sunday. The reason is to encourage others to try to dive in to attempt it. It's interesting, the Scriptures kind of do the same thing, really all throughout the scriptures, not just in the passage we're looking at today. You think about the very beginning part of the Bible, just a few chapters in Adam and Eve have fallen. Uh, horrible, devastating thing for the rest of humanity, in fact. And yet God takes time to encourage them by saying that the, the, the seed of the woman is going to crush the seed of the serpent. There's going to be one that's going to come later 
who's going to accomplish what you can't accomplish, going to make up for your failings here. Abraham was given this vision where they said, hey, look up to the skies, God said, and you'll see that your offspring is going to be as numerous as the sand on the seashore. It's going to be incredible the amount of offspring you're going to have when he had not yet even been able to have a child. God gave him that promise. Moses was told another prophet's going to come after you that's even greater than you. The whole Old Testament system of sacrifices in the temple was all designed to point ahead to something that was going to come later. And, of course, we read in the New Testament as well, the Apostle Paul saying, set your minds on things above, not on things below. And in Matthew, the scriptures tell us, The Lord Jesus taught us a prayer that's a familiar one for many around the world. We call it the Lord's Prayer. What are some of the key sections of that prayer? It says we're to ask that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Supposed to look forward and have that influence what's happening for us right now. That's the idea that I've got in mind and Wrapping up our missions month time by looking at the book of Revelation, literally one chapter removed from the last chapter. By by peeking ahead to this last chapter, I think the Lord can give us a vision for where things are headed, for the culmination of all things. And that way we can be informed how we're to live missionally now. Your worship guide has a section for sermon notes if you want to follow along in the back of it there. And and this main idea is just what I've put down, that, that we should live missionally. We ought to seek to live as folks that are engaged in the mission of God's kingdom right here and right now. Because we've peeked ahead and seen the completed mission. I don't know about you. I know some might just be visiting with us today here with the first time. And maybe not everybody was here every Sunday this last month. But it's been a pretty convicting, pretty challenging month in a lot of good ways. Right. Uh, Corb Heimberger was with us January 5th and uh, talked to us in his mercy ministry capacity at one of our churches here in town about the idea of really loving those who are broken and who are downtrodden. That was convicting for me because I know I. I so often don't think and don't care and don't have a heart for those that are broken and needy, as I should. Al Baker was here about two weeks ago. He's the head of our Alabama church planting network. And he really uh, preached strongly about the fact that we ought to be engaging with the community around us. But we need to be so careful to depend on the Holy Spirit and not on our own strength. I was convicted about my self-sufficiency much of the time. Mark Berry came uh, last week, the missionary from Peru, and, and he challenged us with the, the reality that, that, yeah, there are frontline soldiers, folks that maybe we call the missionaries or that are heading up some of these organizations and mercy ministries that we support. But that guess what? Everybody who's part of the military, whether you're helping to make sure gasoline gets to the vehicles or communications are flowing through to the front lines or whatever your responsibility is, it's important. And that was such a strong reminder for me that what we're doing here really does matter. It's really having an impact as we seek to be those who are going, praying, and sending the folks on the front lines. Well, When I think about all of these things and I'm sort of challenged by them, the 
the, the book starts to look pretty long, doesn't it? And the print on the pages starts to look a little bit small. And, and sometimes instead of being encouraged, I get discouraged. And so I want to peek ahead to the last chapter and see what encouragement we might take from it. Uh, before we look at a couple of verses in this passage, though, I, I thought about one thing that might be spinning through our minds a little bit. And, and, and we can think about it this way in the form of the cliches, some of the cliches we like to use. You know, some of those cliches are pretty much right on target. Ounce of prevention worth a pound of cure. I know that one gets repeated at the Peter's house at least once a week. Usually when a youngster tries to grab 18 things from the kitchen table to do his job of clearing the kitchen table, instead of making three or four 10-second trips, tries to make one with all the stuff gathered in his arms, and you know what happens. Something falls. Spend the next five, ten minutes with paper towels and water and hot. Should we use hot water and spreading it around? Trying to clean all of that mess up. Ounce of prevention worth a pound of cure is a pretty good one. If mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Right? I won't give any specific examples of that because if patients listens to the message here, we might, you know, be a self-fulfilling prophecy. We don't want that to, to happen. But you understand the concept, right? You get the idea. That's a pretty good one. I'll tell you one it used to make sense to me, but that I think actually is not so helpful. He's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. You know what the reality is that the Bible teaches? It's exactly the opposite. In fact, the only way you and I can be of any true earthly good, meaning for God's kingdom, is for us to be so heavenly minded. And that's what we're going to do today as we take a peek. And there's lots that could be said about the future of God's kingdom and how it should influence us. But look with me at these verses and let's talk first about what type of kingdom we see described here. The first thing we see in verse one is that this is a, a renewed reality that's being brought down from heaven, that's being brought into our world. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. What an awesome thing that God's doing something new, something restoring, something to fix all that's wrong in us and in our world. That's an awesome picture and something that ought to motivate us to live more missionally, to see other people be in a place where they can experience that renewed reality. Verse 2, look there, it says, The holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Now, this one's interesting for me because, to be honest with you, sometimes when I uh, think about the things I'm wrestling with, the things I, things I see around this world, I just want to, you know, go Swiss Family Robinson. Go Grizzly Adams, right? Just... Just get away from everything. And, and there's a, a mindset that maybe that'll help solve things. Maybe that'll fix things. And we just head for the hills. Get out. It's interesting that the picture of the kingdom or one picture of the kingdom of God is a city. Is people together and gathered together. Uh, the, the problem is not the, the uh, brokenness and 
and culmination of that brokenness that comes when we're in a collective entity, however big that city is, that that's actually an invitation. That's the place where we ought to engage. The kingdom calls us to missional living when we see a picture of it. What about verse 2? The last part of verse 2, I'm sorry. Describes this city and it says that this city is prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That's a picture that's laid out throughout the scripture. It's just saying that Jesus is the groom. We're the beloved bride. It's a picture of God's care and concern and love and deep passion for us. It's interesting. You you've probably seen on TV like I have. Maybe some of y'all have maybe used these uh, resources, but the uh, the match dot com. Or the Christian mingle, the, the different sort of dating relationship services to help bring folks together. And, uh, and, and you know, you watch the commercials, and, and I've thought about it. It's interesting. Somebody has figured out a way to make money doing what at least I know a lot of the females in our congregation would probably enjoy. And some of the guys being able to bring two people together and have them having a loving relationship. I know some of you ladies, if you've ever been able to bring two folks together, you know, oh, that person needs to get we need to get. Let's figure out a way to, you know, these folks have figured out a way to make some money by doing that really good thing. And I thought about it when we think about how God's kingdom should shape our heart for missional living. That's really a part of what we're doing when we support mission work around the world, when we seek to share the gospel with those around us, is we're, in, we're being matchmakers. We're getting to play Cupid. We're connecting them up to Jesus who's going to love them and care for them uh, deeply. It's a beautiful picture for us. Verse 3 is... Uh, a lot of content in here, but basically saying the same thing in a couple of different ways. A loud voice says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He'll dwell with them and they'll be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. Saying that in about four or five different ways. Well, why is that so important? Because we can't uh, seek to fulfill the mission that God has for us individually or be engaged missionally as a church in what God's calling us to without God's power, without knowing he's with us in it. It was interesting to read through the little missionary uh, biography books that we've uh, provided and do some little devotional time in there and read about David Brainerd. I think I mentioned him a week or two ago. Brainerd was this guy back in the early 1700s, really, uh, you know, uh, a guy that had a lot of academic abilities and skills and so forth, went to Yale. There was revival going on at the same time. He made a comment that he probably shouldn't have made about the lack of spiritual uh, direction and leadership from the administration at Yale University at the time. And they kicked him out. They said, you're done. That kind of been the whole culmination of his his pursuits academically and for his life. And he felt called to ministry and, and ended up out on what was then the frontier. Imagine this, the west coast or west side of, of New Jersey was the, the frontier. And he ended up there trying to reach the Native Americans that were there. And if you read just a little bit, even in the devotional we read, let alone in his actual biography, he was a lonely guy. He was sick, tuberculosis, wasn't going to make it past age 29, had these real bouts of sickness. And he was lonely in that place. And he struggled, just like you and I do, to remember that God's dwelling with me, God's dwelling with our church, and, and also to remember that that's what we're inviting other people to experience, is God dwelling in their lives. 
dwelling place of God is with man. And then verse four, probably some of the more familiar verses from this chapter of Revelation, where it says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither that shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. What an incredible picture. What a privilege to be able to peek ahead to the last chapter and see that the brokenness, the lostness, the struggle, the pain, all of those things. And, 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 and what a, a blessing, not just to see it for you and me, that we know if we're in Christ, we're going to enjoy that. But to see that we have the privilege that what motivates us, propels us then to be a missional church engaged in missions. Because we want to see other people be able to enjoy that blessing as well. Well, second thing I want us to look at is these verses five through seven. And we'll move a little more quickly uh, through these. But I want us to see not just the, the type of kingdom that's described, but the, the plan of the king, which overlaps a little bit with the type of kingdom. Look at verse five. It says he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. So the plan of the king is to carry out these things that we've just heard described to renew our reality. Then it goes on and it says, also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. I don't care whether it's what you hear on the news uh, from the media, from professional athletes or performers, whether it's what we hear in our relationships at home, from our children, uh, in the workplace, you name it. It is hard to find a place where you can get truth, trustworthy truth all the time that you can bank your life on, your eternal life on even. Jesus says, write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. This is a trustworthy picture of what eternity is going to be like. This is a trustworthy final chapter that you're getting to peek into. So then live your life in light of it. You can bank on it completely. Jesus speaks truth. He brings fulfillment. He brings fulfillment. That's what this means when he says he's the Alpha and the Omega. Those are just the first and the last letters. It's the A to Z is the way we would put it. He's the completion. He's the culmination. He's going to bring all of those things to fulfillment. Verse 6 gives us a little bit more uh, direction on that where it says that he's uh, going to, to be this spring of water that we can receive in our thirst without payment. So we get a little bit more of a picture. It's not only this kingdom that's going to come, but guess what? It's completely free. It's provided for us regardless of, of our ability to secure it. In fact, the only way we can receive it is by acknowledging that it comes as a gift. And what a motivation to share that. You know, you, if, you, if you pay for something, it's sometimes a little harder to, to share it, to impart it to other people. When you realize that you've been given it completely for free, it's a little, it's a little, we're a little bit more motivated. The Lord knows how we work. We say, well, I, why don't I give this away to other folks? Why don't I desire for other people to experience it? And lastly, the verse 7 says, The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. The plan of the king is... Uh, not just to make things new or to speak truth or to bring fulfillment or to quench our deepest thirst of our soul. 
But he's going to welcome us in as his children. And we're motivated to live missionally because we want to see other people experience the reality of being God's child. But why does all of this matter? I've given us some certainly positive motivations for that, that we we have the opportunity to invite people to experience all of these things, to support folks that are on the front lines missionally who are helping carry out this kingdom and seeing this kingdom be realized. It's also important, though, that we look at verse eight. It kind of presents the flip side. It's interesting that the Lord included this right in this section of scripture where you've got this beautiful, positive description wooing us, drawing us in. Come, enjoy all these blessings. How many can we possibly list in seven verses? But then he also warns us in verse eight of the situation that each one of us would be in because of our sinful nature without Christ. And if today you're here and don't have Christ as your hope and life that that you are in. Verse 8, but as for the cowardly, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. It's a hard message to hear, but also a picture of the realities of future life of heaven and hell that also propel us to live missionally today because we love and care about those around us. Well, here's the rub, I guess you would say, as we come to conclusion with all of this. Here's the hard part. It's great to peek ahead to the last chapter. I, I like talking about it. I enjoy talking to you all about it today as we walk through these verses. But you know what the rub is. Eventually, we got to come back to where our bookmark is, don't we? To where you and I are today and to how God's calling us to to live out the things that he wants for us to live today. What are the pages that are before us? And maybe there's uh, five days worth of pages left for us or maybe there's 50 years worth of pages left for us. We don't really know sitting here, do we? A couple of things that we've been talking about really the last month and and the missions committee has encouraged me to to remind us of is is that as we come to the end of this month for us to really think about at least three things. What does it look like to go to pray and to send to go to pray and to send going? We talked a lot about last week. I'll just encourage you for the sake of time. If you want to consider and think about that, I thought Mark Berry's message was a great message for us to to consider what it looks like for us to to not just be going you know somewhere across the world on a mission trip but to be going out into our community as christ calls us to praying something we even had a chance to do today in our sunday school time where we just set aside the sunday school time to pray in some small groups and lift up what god's doing that's one of the things our missions committee does that's just just praying for the missionaries that we we have that's Part of what we're doing in life groups, we pray for one another is we're really not just praying for sickness or illness for God to do healing. But we're we're actually praying when we do that for God to bring his kingdom into our midst for for God to be blessed, to, to maybe heal that person, to maybe reach in and do something. That's what we're doing even in our life group prayer time. So we're praying about the kingdom and we ought to be praying 
for our missionaries. That's why those little uh, blue booklets uh, that are that are out on the foyer table, if you didn't get one, that have pictures of the different missionaries and prayer descriptions. Let me really encourage you to take those and, and pray for those folks. And, and, and we Skyped a number of us in our life groups last week. Pray for those people that you had a chance to, to Skype with. And then lastly, and yeah, this is, a, this is about resources. Uh, we're, we're not ashamed or bashful to say, uh, say that. Is sending. We've had the privilege as a church and a relatively small and new church to be involved in supporting and supplying the resources that are needed to to provide for some of the local ministries and for these missionaries, campus ministers here, folks around the world that you can read about in your your worship guide, the list of 10 or so missionaries. And we got the opportunity potentially to support some other folks, even from our congregation that are preparing to go to the mission field. And so I want to encourage us to to think as we have this picture of this future kingdom about where we are with that. Now, you don't, you don't have to turn in one of these pledge cards. There's some at the end of your pews, these little uh, white envelopes. You don't have to do that to give. It's, it's a, to give to missions. It's, it's certainly a helpful thing. Our missions committee gives them an idea of what to expect and, and what we can do with missions. And, and perhaps a number of you have already done uh, something in terms of a, a pledge that you put down back in November when we do our normal financial time. But uh, we want to encourage everyone in the congregation to be thinking and praying about that and remind you that we really do. We, we support some uh, of the infrastructure for missions work through our general fund budget for Mission to the World, Mission to North America, Reformed University Fellowship. That's in the budget that we share every year with folks that comes from the general fund. But everything else, the, the funds that are going straight to the missionaries comes from our missions fund. And so if that's something you want to be a part of, we'd love for you to fill out a pledge card, even as I'm wrapping up the sermon today. And, and whether it's $250 or $1,000 or $5,000, uh, or as you're given throughout the year, just make sure to mark on that, that check that you turn in so that we know it's for, for missions and going uh, towards the missions fund. We really have a heart to be a church that so lays hold of that last chapter that we're very careful to look at what are the next pages we need to turn here and how we can be encouraged to do that in a way that fulfills God's purpose for us as a church and allows us to participate in his mission right now. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do thank you for the time we've had this morning. Uh, Father, for all the ways that it encourages us to be able to peek ahead and to see what you are doing and to see what you will do. And, Father, we pray that that vision of peeking ahead to that last chapter would so inform our lives that we would desire to uh, live for you and be refreshed by the privilege of living for you. And Lord, to even make the hard decisions as we've just been challenged and encouraged to look at how we can contribute financially to that work. Father, that we would look at how we spend and where we're using the resources and, and Lord, that you would bring direction and conviction about how we can participate in your kingdom work through our church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.